Good morning, church. What an honor it is for me to be able to be here this morning to be able to share with you. And I've got to say the last couple of months, and I guess you can put these two words together, have been wonderfully insane, right? Can those two words go together? So Clay called me in late September about joining the staff here at Woodmont, working with small groups and working with discipleship, and those are two areas that I love. Uh, and it didn't take long for things just to kick in to, to high gear. I began traveling back and forth between Jackson and Nashville because I wanted to get an, an idea of the work that I'd be doing and then also get a chance to, to meet the, the staff here. And then for, for Thanksgiving and, and then for Christmas, uh, we had scheduled trips to see family in New Orleans and then also in the, the Spartanburg area of South Carolina. And, and I have to say, there is some bizarre spiritual connection between the staff here and Spartanburg. We have so many staff people who are from that area. So I just need somebody with the spiritual gift of discernment to figure that out and let us know, right? Because there's some, there's some thing going on there. So all that to say is this, it has been a whirlwind couple of months, but honestly, it's been a whirlwind year. The big change in our family this past year was the passing of my 87-year-old father this past June after a three-year um, battle with dementia. So I spent much of this past year in New Orleans working with my parents as my dad was, was in and out of the hospital. He'd be back home working with PT and OT and, and then at a, at a skilled nursing unit that went into COVID lockdown and, and then finally a, a memory care unit where he passed away. It, it was a tough time. The very last words that my father spoke to me was the Friday before he passed away on Wednesday, the June 16th. He said, he said, Jay, take care of your mother. And it gives me pause even now talking about it. His last thoughts that he could articulate in his life were for his wife and they'd be married for 60 years. There was no single thing that got our family through that season. There was a lot of prayer. Alan, there was a lot of tennis, right? Neely and I would make regular dates to go hit when I was back in, in Jackson. There was a lot of dinner out together. And each night when I was out of town, we would FaceTime around nine o'clock in the evening. We'd pray together as a family. And I don't say that to, to virtue signal our faith life, right? I say that to illustrate that we didn't know what to do as a family when we felt overwhelmed and out of place and disjointed and emotionally drained. All we knew was that God had something that, that felt like wholeness for our family and that one day we would get there together. So all of us have that thing in our lives that is the burden of our heart. And, and you know what it is. It's, it's the thing that sometimes wakes us up at 3 a.m. It's the thing that, that causes our heart to race anxiously. It's the theme that puts the lump in your throat or maybe when no one is looking, right? It causes your eyes to moisten up with tears. It doesn't even have to be sad. It can be the thing that just thinking about just fills your spirit with joy. But whatever it is, it's the thing that moves you. In the past few weeks, Clay's been taking us through the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and he's been hinting to us that we should pick up a book, which I highly recommend by N.T. Wright. It's entitled Simply Jesus as a, as a companion piece to his sermon series. And Wright, in the, in the opening page of that book, describes 
what we call um, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, marking the beginning of Passion Week. And I, and I don't want to give away too much because that's going to be a sermon down the road, I'm sure, that Clay wants to give. But here's the scene. People are expecting the person that they have put their faith in to enter Jerusalem and finally set things right. To displace the Romans, to usher in God's reign on earth, they split, spread their cloaks out on the road to welcome Jesus. Then they cry out and they sing, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are filled with anticipation that something wonderful is about to happen. The Messiah they were expecting is getting ready to come. And as Jesus enters, he doesn't celebrate, he doesn't raise a victory sign, or he doesn't sing, or he doesn't shout for joy. Jesus weeps when he sees the crowds. He, he weeps when he enters Jerusalem. And I wonder, what's the burden that he feels for the people? What's the burden that he feels for Jerusalem that his heart is feeling at that moment? And I wonder if the gospel writer, by the way, is, is using that as an opportunity to ask us, who or what is your heart for? What is it that moves you to compassion? What is it that makes you think this could be different? What is it that makes you think this should be different? So David Brooks, who's the New York Times op-ed writer, who normally is pretty optimistic, wrote an article a couple of weeks back entitled, America is Falling Apart at the Seams. And it was the usual laundry list of all the ways that our social fabric was fraying, rising violence, rising disruptive behavior in schools, rising reckless driving, rising gun purchases, increased depression and loneliness, fewer people attending church, fewer face-to-face -face friendships. I was depressed just reading the article. And then he concluded his op-ed by saying this, by writing this. He says, as a columnist, I'm supposed to have some answers, but I just don't right now. I know that the situation is dire. That's what, that's what he wrote. And maybe it was just the pastor in me thinking this as I read the article. It doesn't have to be this way. Not in my circle of family and friends. Not in my sphere of influence. Not on my watch. Not in God's kingdom. And I couldn't help but imagine as I read that, that we as the church, we as the, the body of Christ, we have an opportunity to be the transformation that this culture is looking for. And so one of the reasons that we're doing a sermon series on the ministry of Jesus this season is that it's a rehearsal of the fundamentals, our basic blocking and tackling skills as believers. And I really see this as a way of centering and balancing and doing an exhale together after the last couple of years, right? And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he reminds his listeners that the God who speaks into the burden of our heart is right in front of us. So this morning, our, our scripture highlighted that God, that the God that we worship is a God who is near and is a God we can approach and a God who continues to empower us for a purpose. The writer says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. In fact, I think this is a key teaching of Jesus's. It's like, it's like he wants us to lean in 
and experience for ourselves closeness and intimacy with God. He wants to elevate their expectation of God and not settle for a notion of a, of a detached and distant God. And I'm not going to lie. I struggle with this passage. Like those who, who are celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus, I know what I want it to mean. It comes off, does it come off to you? It comes off maybe as an overly hopeful, to be honest. If you believe in Jesus, then you can ask for anything you want, and that's what you're going to get. And then Jesus and some of the other New Testament writers, they complicate the matter by actually saying that, right? They say stuff like that. So in Jesus' intimate conversation with his disciples, in the 14th and 17th chapters of John, he tells them in John 14, 13, he says this. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. He says, in my name, if you ask me for anything, I will do it. Or a little further in John 16, verse 23, he says, Very truly, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, he says, you haven't asked for anything in my name, and you will receive so that your joy may be made complete. I can't tell you the number of times in the last three years that I prayed that my father would be completely healed, that his mind would be restored, and that our family could go back to living normal lives again in Jesus' name. So what do I do with this? And I ask this knowing full well that this morning that some of you are asking the exact same question. Whether it's a, a dearly loved one that you're standing alongside and you're praying for healing. Whether it's a burden for, for people that you know who have COVID or for healthcare professionals and teachers, for business owners, for, for workers just trying to provide for their families or for the nation's division and conflict that we read about in David Brooks' op-ed. So one of my favorite spiritual writers by the name of Richard Foster, it's in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. He says this about what he calls simple prayer. He says, Jesus reminds us that prayer is, is a little like children coming to their parents. Our children come to us with the craziest requests at times. Often we are grieved by the meanness and selfishness of the request, but we'd be all the more grieved if they never even came to us, even with their meanness and selfishness, we're simply glad that they do come, mixed motives and all. So there's nothing mean or selfish about praying for the burden of your heart, but it's this, this quote reminds me so well, I'm always coming to God as a child comes to her mother or father. And the point of my drawing near to God, just, just like yesterday when, when my daughter asked me, can't dad, can we go and practice driving the car, right? It has much to do with the relational transaction that takes place between myself and God as it does anything that I ask God for. God is forming me and growing me as I ask and as I seek and as I knock. And as every parent of a teenage driver knows, that requires a very special form of prayer. Amen? But what's interesting and even surprising is this. As I approach God with the wonder and expectancy of a child, I begin to see glimpses of what God is up to. 
One of the burdens recently for our family has been around moving my mom up from New Orleans to Nashville and all that's entailed in getting down there and organizing her home where she's lived for 50 years so that we could put the house on the market and then she could move up. And needless to say, it was going to take a couple of weeks. I was going to have to take a couple of weeks off, which meant that I was going to have to wait till June, which meant that she was going to have to just make it until then. And we'd been praying about this as a family. And I asked some of the prayer warriors here at Woodmont to be in prayer for this as well. And then about two weeks ago, I got an out of the blue call from my brother that his wife and daughter had a window of time open up where they would be able to go down and begin helping her get ready in February. And we were all in agreement that this needed to happen sooner rather than later. So my rational, coolly analytical mind wanted to say, wow, what a welcome coincidence that is. When my heart of faith wanted to yell out loud, thank you, God. So which of those do you think was my correct response? And can I say that as an answer to prayer is far more about our family and our family's relationship than just getting my mom moved. And for those who like me sometimes want to hang on tightly to our rational enlightenment mind, can we just agree that, that maybe our God can be a God of welcome coincidences? Amen? So in Matthew 7, Jesus invites his listeners into a relational depth with a God who is near to them. And this is right out of Deuteronomy, by the way, when, when Moses tells the Israelites that they don't have to seek high or low to be able to know God's will, Moses tells them this. He says, the word is near to you. And then Jesus says something really similar to that in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 17, verse 21. He says, the kingdom of God is among you. It's near to you. So what if asking and, and seeking and knocking are just what if they're just very practical pathways? Jesus is teaching us to live with greater expectancy that God is near and at work and at power in our lives. So let me, give you, let me just give you a simple way, I think, of leaning into praying with that level of expectancy. And my hope is this, as we begin to emerge from COVID and all the craziness that we've experienced over the last couple of years in politics and in culture and then just the day-to-day -day stuff around us, what would it look like for us to do this together? And by together, I mean as a congregation, as a body of Christ, of, of Jesus followers committed to each other and committed to working out God's kingdom among us. And what if David Brooks is right? What if there really is no earthly solution to all the brokenness we see around, around us? Could the church, could this church offer a way for people to encounter the living presence of Jesus so they could experience healing and wholeness? And I'm absolutely convinced. In fact, I'm here today only because I believe that God is going to use Woodmont to speak powerfully new life into the lives of people we haven't even met yet. And I believe this church is going to continue to grow as a spiritual water well where people's lives get renewed in 2022. So let's do this. And I'm going to invite you to do this together and then with me. Let's ask, let's seek, and let's knock with a God who is near and I think this might be a really good exercise 
this coming week in your, in your small group or in your family or your social circle, social circle. First, let's ask. So like Foster suggests, let's just start simply. We can begin with the burden that is on our heart. What's the thing that makes us think this is not the way it ought to be? What weighs heavily on us? What makes us wonder that if Jesus were here, it would be completely different? And I'd recommend even writing that down so you could see it in front of you. And then let's press into a simple conversation with God on that thing. And as you speak your heart to God, can I just encourage you to listen as well? And then what wisdom begins to embrace your spirit as you talk to God? And then second, let's, let's seek together. Let's look around and ask ourselves, what is God already up to? And I found that the very, place, the very best place to ask that is in a group with other believers who are asking that question alongside you. So a small group or a Sunday school class or a CWF circle. And one of the most fruitful experiences that I've had is to be in a group and be able to ask that question, where have they seen God at work this past week? And I'm always amazed at their ability to be able to point to the places where they've seen God working, even in their own lives or in the lives of other people around them. And those stories that we share collectively, taken together, begin to form a story of how we all together are encountering God. And they're important stories. And they open wide our ability to see and know God deeply as we press forward. Our expectation grows. And then Jesus says to knock. And this is the, the physical active component of Jesus' triad. So maybe the question we ask ourselves here is this. As I'm asking God to speak into the burden of my heart, and as I'm seeking God, what God is doing around me with others, what is it that I can do personally to bring healing and to bring the presence of Christ into the lives of others? I was blown away this past Wednesday, and I said so at the discipleship class, after hearing the, the testimonies of, of Woodmont servant leaders who pour into the ministries of this church for our community and beyond. And if you haven't seen the discipleship class from this Wednesday, it's on YouTube, and it's linked on our website, and I encourage you to go back and watch it. And it's incredible the many different ways that we are already making a kingdom impact. And as you watch the video, which I hope you'll do, there may be something that tweaks your spirit a little bit, that speaks to the burden of your heart and simply reaffirms for you that God has always been active in power in the lives of people who are surrendered and willing to be led. And that's my prayer this morning, that we experience the freedom to come to God with anything that's on our hearts, that our eyes are open to the beauty of God's presence around us, and that we say yes to the kingdom work that God has called us to do together. So let me just offer you this final quote from Richard Foster. His book is called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, because there is something inside of us that happens when we ask and when we seek and when we knock. So this is what Foster says. He describes this process. He says, slowly, almost imperceptibly, there is a shift in our center of gravity. We pass from thinking 
of God as a part of our life to the realization that we are part of God's life. Amen, everyone. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful for your calling us together into a, a body of Christ followers who, who love you and seek you and worship, who are gathered together to, um, to share our, our, our gifts for the kingdom mission you have called this church to perform here in, in Nashville and the Mid-South and, and um, all over the country, really. God, we pray that you continue to pour out your gifts on us. We thank you for the leaders and for the staff here, God. We thank you for, for those who have rolled up their sleeves and committed themselves to, to say, here I am, send me. And God, continue to use us to bring the healing presence of life, the healing presence of Jesus to a broken and hurting community, we pray. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.